Welcome to Moonday Mystic by Modern Mystic Shop, the podcast where we help you harness your intuition, your personal power, so that you can live a magical life. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Moon Day Mystic. The topic for today is grief and loss. It's Valentine's Day season, people are talking a lot about love, but I've decided to have some conversations about grief and loss because that's also something that is very present during this time of year. Not everyone is experiencing ecstatic joy. We've got other emotions that are coming to the surface. So I have brought to the table a very dear friend and an expert in this field, and her name is Louisa Gleichman. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about her, and then we'll invite her into the conversation. So Louisa believes the therapeutic process is a partnership rooted in trust and cultivated within a safe, supportive, and non-judgmental environment. She utilizes techniques from a variety of treatment frameworks to meet each client's individual needs. Examples include attachment-oriented and trauma-informed methods, as well as CBT, DBT, motivational interviewing, IFS, emotion-focused therapy, sensory motor psychotherapy, and somatic psychotherapy. Her work is grounded in empathy, authenticity, unconditional respect, and multicultural consciousness, and she always considers how the intersection of one's personal identity, society, and culture impacts their daily experiences. So welcome to the podcast, Louisa Gleichman. So you have a lot of letters after your name. I don't want to miss any. So what are all the letters after your name in the professional context? Yes. Okay. That's a great question because that can be really confusing to people because it looks super fancy, right? And those are my credentials. So the credentials that I have are MPS, ATRBC, LCAT. And what those are, are... The first and foremost, MPS. That's a master in professional studies. That's my graduate degree. Okay. I was. I have a master in professional studies in art therapy. So that's my graduate degree. That's my master's degree. Then I have ATRBC, which are my national credentials and board certification. So I am a registered art therapist, board certified. The reason why it's ATR, art therapist registered, is because when the credentialing board came into existence decades ago, they realize that registered art therapist is rat and that doesn't look very good. So it's (laughs) ATR instead of RAT. So ATRBC and then LCAT is my state licensure. So New York state has licensed creative arts therapists and that encapsulates art therapists, drama therapists, music therapists. And um, they have, we all have different tests that we take, but the licensure is ultimately the same that they give to us. So that's what all of that means. Basically, it just means I am an art psychotherapist. I know what I'm doing. A lot of governing (laughs) bodies have signed off on it (laughs) to make sure that I'm not just out here doing stuff that I'm not qualified to do. That's what all the letters mean. Okay, good. Well, I didn't want to just dismiss the letters because it seems to me that each one of those letters, as you've explained it, you know, you, you had to work hard for them, right? So I don't want to just yep. gloss over them. You've done a lot of work and you deserve the letters after your name. They don't have letters for tarot readers. <laughs> so I don't, I don't get a name. <laughs> they should because you work very hard. You also work very hard. And like therapists, it is an emotional gift that you give to people. It can be, you know, really hard. You work very hard and you have a lot of training. So that will be our next, our next, uh, you know, I don't know if I want a governing, I don't know if I want a governing body. I don't know. (laughs) We'll decide. So you told me a little bit about the expertise through the letters that you described, but would you tell me a little bit more about your background and how you kind of, why you even went to this path of art therapy and then specifically what you like to focus on and specialize in? Yeah, definitely. So I had a path that was a little bit different from some others, which is that I it wasn't a straight line for me into graduate school. After my undergraduate degree, I moved forward in the world and had very different careers um, from art therapy. So I was a writer for a number of years in the magazine industry and the like online publication industry. 
unfortunately, we all know that what happened after 2008 was it kind of took a dive and I managed to stay afloat for a little while, but ultimately it was really not as, it was a very hard um, industry to sustain in. So then I ended up in advertising. I ended up in the marketing um, field and in the advertising industry. And I always went to bed feeling like there was a hole in my heart. And I remember early on talking to colleagues about it and being like, you know, do you guys like have this empty feeling inside when you're going to sleep? And everyone said, yes, they were all like, oh yeah, yeah. But you know, it goes away. Eventually it'll go away or you'll stop noticing it, but I never stopped noticing it. It never went away. And then I was given a real gift, which was a layoff, which like most people wouldn't call a gift. But the part that was a gift was that I had an opportunity to evaluate if I wanted to keep going in the direction that I was going in, or if I wanted to make a change. And um, I decided I wanted to make a change. I actually um, have my, my mom to thank for that. She's a clinical psychologist. And she said, in my line of work, I've seen a lot of people who at a certain point want to make a career change, but they have a family, they have dependents to start over would be, there are a lot of implications for that. And they feel like it's too late. They can't do it. It's just not feasible. It's not possible. And she said, if you want to keep going in marketing, great. But if you don't, if you want to make a change now would be the time, like do mm -hmm. it now. And so we talked about what, I liked and didn't like about my work, what I wanted more of, what I wanted less of. And ultimately I really liked the art side of things. Like I wore a lot of hats. I got to have a graph. I was doing the graphic design in some of my jobs. And then once I worked up to a certain level, I was overseeing an art department, giving art direction. Um, but I really loved it, but I missed that I wasn't really helping anyone. So I wanted more art and I wanted to help people. And my mom said, well, there's a field called art therapy. I don't know a lot about it, but it sounds like it might be what you're looking for. You might want to look into it. Hmm. And so that's the long and the short of it as far as how I learned about it. And, you know, I started talking to other art therapists. I learned a lot. I took a continuing education course at School of Visual Arts called Art Therapy as a Career, which is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> and the more I heard, the more I was like, this is it. This is, yes, like this is for me. This is what I've been huh. looking for. And so then I, I, you know, I had to go back to school and yeah, know, study a lot and do a lot, but yeah, but that's, so that's how I ended up in this. Oh, can I add something to that? I would, I would love to yeah. add to that. So what Louisa is describing, and I'm not putting these words into your mouth, but my counselor calls it a fucking gift. And when a, her layoff <laughs> is a fucking gift. And then the fucking gift is the gift that in the moment feels like, fuck, but then in retrospect, it's a gift. It's an impetus. It's a seed. It's a it's it's a, a way that the universe is rerouting you. For tarot speak, we call that the tower moment when like outside influences kind of crash in and you it's for your benefit because maybe I'm not saying you, Louisa, but maybe people wouldn't have made that move. Like it, it's like a pressurized situation. So if any of you guys are in a fucking gift moment, this is the invitation that like maybe looking at it as a fucking gift instead of just fuck, just throwing that out there. Kelly, I'm so glad you threw that out there. Um, two things. The first is I, I, it was absolutely a fucking gift because I don't know that I would have gotten off that train. It's very mm -hmm. hard to get off a train where I may have had that hole in my heart, but I liked my day-to-day -day work. I was very good at it and I was very successful. Mm -hmm. So that was a, that would have been a lot to walk away from and it would have been really scary. And the other thing I want to say is that um, I think it's really um, apropos, apropos that you're bringing that up actually because of today's topic, which is grief and loss. And when I lost my job, that mm -hmm. was a loss, right? Yes. And so now we're talking about resiliency and we can get more into that later, but resiliency is essentially how you respond in the face of a loss or some kind of other um, outside, maybe external event that it shakes you yes, and throws you off course and just, th just, you know, it shakes you. And so loss is one of those. And in order to be able to continue forward after something like that, you do have to have some resiliency and there are skills for that. And we can talk about that. Um, but yeah, so it's, it is, it's kind of nice, actually. I didn't even think about that, that my path included loss. 
Yes, for sure. See, I knew you were the right person to talk to. So <laughs> as, as a professional, I've, I'm wondering if you could define the word grief. I don't know what, yeah. it, I don't know. It's one of those words that is so familiar, but yet maybe intangible in certain ways. And, and, and if it's a mo- an emotion, like is grief an emotion or a feeling? What is it? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think that it is important to untangle loss from grief because they're different, okay. right? They're okay. related, but they're distinct. Okay. So grief would be um, a state of being, an experience, and there are emotions within that. So grief it in and of itself isn't an emotion, right? But when okay. you're feeling grief, when you're grieving, you might feel one emotion or multiple emotions. You might you know, go back and forth between multiples. You might feel some at the same time. And they often include anger, sadness, confusion, um, regret. There are so many that show up and there's no eventually acceptance, right? Um, But again, nothing's linear and they don't all stay static. Um, So grief itself would be, I would say like a phase uh, or a stage or a state um, rather. And then there are emotions that are within that. Okay. And so... Okay. So when you say grieving again, just so I understand, it's like sort of Mm -hmm. like a phase that you're going through and then you weave in and out of different sort of emotions that come with it. And, you know, we've heard of the stages of grief and that does make it sound kind of linear, but you're saying it's not really the case. Yeah, it's not really the case. Um, I think that when that model was originally developed, it, and you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure of the history of the model, but I'm I think when the model was originally developed, it was theorized as linear, but mm. it is not, it, it has since come to be understood as not linear. Mm. Um, so with grief, it, we might experience all of the, um, the stages I'm putting for those who are listening and not, you can't see me, I'm doing air quotes, um, stages which makes it sound very segmented, very like that each one's in isolation and that it's linear. But really there can be the presence of multiples at the same time, right? So you might feel acceptance and anger because you mm-hmm. can accept something if we're going to talk about radical acceptance, right? You can accept something. It doesn't mean you have to like it. It doesn't mean you can't have feelings about it. You can accept it as like, this is what's happening. These are my circumstances, but I'm pissed or I'm yeah. heartbroken. You know, it's, it's, it can be both and it often is. Yeah. So with the grieving process, the intensity of emotion can ebb and flow. The presence of a given emotion can ebb and flow. Sometimes you might feel multiple emotions. Sometimes you might just feel one. Sometimes the emotions that you're experiencing aren't in relation to the grief at all. You could still be moving through life feeling joy. And then that gets really complicated and a lot of people end up feeling guilt. So then that's another emotion that shows up because you might still be in the grieving process, but you're also living life in other arenas and in other ways so that you're not paralyzed by the grief. Right. Man, there's, and I think anyone who has gone through grief it's so funny. That's a theory that it's linear because I just feel like if you're a human being that has had grief, you know, very clearly it is not a linear process, right? Like uh-uh. it, I don't, it's funny to me that it was theorized to be that way. If only it were. I think, I yeah, think it was theorized potentially in that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> potentially. We're not quoting you. Don't worry about that. So is, is, is grief, the phase of grief different, whether it's the grief of losing a loved one. Cause I think that's what most people think about right off the bat. It's like you grief if you lose a loved one versus whether you lose a relationship or a job or an identity or are they, is it similar or are there nuanced differences? Yeah, that's also a great question. I think that thinking of grief as a process more than a phase is really oh, useful um, because it, a phase makes it seem like there's a distinct end And then it's Mm -hmm. like, you're going to just what dust your hands off and you're done. And like, everything is great. And like, you're never impacted again by the, the thing that was lost, right. Whether it was a relationship or a job or a part of your identity, you know, whatever it may be, 
It's just that your relationship to that loss changes and that's part of the process. So I, I think the word process is really um, a good one to have in the mix here as we're yeah. talking about it. And the, the thing that everything has in common, every one of the things you named has in common is that it's loss, full stop, right? You have lost something. The, what differentiates the experience of grief wouldn't necessarily be the loss itself, but more so how significant and impactful that loss was for you and how significant and impactful the thing that was lost had been for you. What meaning did that have for you? And so, you know, if you lose a loved one and your relationship with that person was really significant and very meaningful, your experience of grief is going to look very different from somebody who lost a loved one as we categorize loved ones, right? Perhaps a family member, but maybe that was a family member who was really abusive to you and who you had separated from a really long time ago, who you had set, put distance between you and that person a really long time ago. And you'd already actually gone through the grieving process because of separating yourself from that person. When that person passes, as all humans eventually do, the experience of that loss of life will look, you know, could look very different yes. than for somebody who had a very different relationship with that person who is lost. So it's very, very nuanced and very individualized. Yeah. I was talking through with some of my clients regarding loss, let's say at the end of a relationship and a little bit to like my personal experience with divorce, I noticed in my experience and through witnessing some others, I've had similar where it's like, if you can see the relationship ending, for instance, you, st I felt like I started some of that grieving process inside the relationship, kind of like what you were talking about. So by the time the marriage was fully dissolved, I was further down the road of grief. And I don't think he would mind me sharing this. My husband did not like it. It was like it hit him when it like when I moved out. And then that's when unfortunately, I think a lot of it came up. And I've seen that a, a lot. I don't know if it's like, a, I don't want to make generalizations be between, you know, genders. But it seems like a pattern for me that women might the women that I've spoken to have had a similar experience where they start the grieving process ahead of time. Um, so it's also possible to like be grieving in almost an anticipation. I don't, what is that called? Yeah. Um, I believe the term is anticipatory grief. Oh, if yeah, I'm okay. Not there we mistaken. go. <laughs> um, so I'd have to Google that to remind myself of the, the specific terminology, but that's essentially what we're talking about. And you, you see it show up a lot too with, um, uh, people who have a loved one who has Alzheimer's or has, who has oh, dementia yeah. because that person is still alive, but you're losing the person as you knew them. Yes. And it's really painful and it's really hard. And so a lot, you know, I see clients who are in this situation mm. and they are grieving while also continuing to have a relationship with that person. And it is, it's very complicated. So how do you, as a professional, use art therapy specifically, which seems to be your passion, you know, passionate about all of that, but this, you know, specifically, um, how do mm -hmm. you use art therapy in this process for people? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, I'm saying that for all your questions, but your questions are all really great questions. Well, thank you. You know, I like positive reinforcement. <laughs> I'll give it to you all day long, girl. So yes, how do you use art therapy as part of this? So one thing that is really helpful and useful during the grieving process, just generally speaking, is being able to be with the emotions um, and then move move through them and move with them, right? And process them. And one thing that can help with that is externalizing them, right? Getting them out of your body. Emotions live in the body, right? Um, moving them out of your body and being able to look at them. And so art therapy allows for that very thing to happen in the most literal sense. You can 
depict something, represent something, and it doesn't have to be literal. It can be symbolic. It can be metaphorical. Oftentimes it just looks like mark making, you know, where it's like your IQ clients a lot to just use, um, you know, line pressure, color um, to indicate what they're feeling. So I, you, you move it out, you represent visually, and then you can take a step back and look at what you have put down. And now you have a tangible object that you can be with. And you can step away from it. And so if we're talking about when to be with emotions and when it feels safe to be with emotions, um, you know, we can't do that every minute of every day, especially if we're feeling really intensely because of a loss. So sometimes you want to wait to process and that's okay. That's adaptive, right? We don't want to melt down uh, in the grocery store. We want to melt down on our couch, you know, so mm -hmm. Um, being able to be with the emotions in a way that feels safe and appropriate, and then you're going to do that work. And it doesn't have to be done with an art therapist. It can be done on your own, right? But either way, you are being with the emotions in an appropriate space where it feels safe to do it. Mm -hmm. And then art therapy can allow you to um, represent it, come to understand it in a different way, look at it make meaning out of it and have somebody else bear witness with you, which mm -hmm. can feel really validating and really supportive because then you're not alone with this mm -hmm. really painful thing that has happened, this loss that you're grieving. So in session with you, if once, mm -hmm. you know, making this art, is there an interpretation process and is it to the, like, are you aiding me and in interpreting what I've created, maybe even without my knowledge, or is it, to, are you guiding me to interpret it for myself? It's a great question because I think that a lot of people really worry that there's some secret process going on, <laughs> that like the therapist is psychoanalyzing everything. And, and now clients who don't really have art experience are terrified because they're like, I'm not good at this. And what's, what's she going to make of that? You know? And mm -hmm. so, but that's really not what's happening. So the, the art that a client makes has meaning to that client, to the artist. And that's the meaning that's important because it's your product. It's your therapy work. It's your visual representation. What meaning does that have to you? So if we're together looking at artwork, we're processing that artwork. I might make observations and ask questions and you might make observations and you might ask questions, but together we are being with this product, which is an expression. It's a self-expression. And then together we can make meaning out of it. And part of what's really useful about that tool is that we may not always have the words for what we're feeling. And sometimes things are not best described with words. Emotions are not, they're not verbal. Emotions are felt and they're felt in the body. So how could words capture that? They can't always. So to be able to use visual communication, art therapy is really like a yes and shock therapy because you have at your disposal language, but you also have at your disposal visual communication, which can allow for things to be communicated that language just can't quite capture the way that you might want to. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what it can do is it can provide an opportunity to communicate something that maybe could not even be achieved with words. And then looking at that thing together, then you can make sense of it. Okay. You didn't have the words before and that's okay. But what do you notice about it? Now we have something we can work with. Yeah. It's right? kind of also reminding me of, I mean, tarot and I, you know, our listeners are mm -hmm. mystically minded where you can, especially when I teach folks tarot, uh, you can see how they make meaning and what, what's, you know, a hundred people could look at the exact same image and different pieces of it highlight to them, which probably speaks to some place where they are emotionally, intellectually, wherever they are in space and time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just wondering, it, it just seems that it might be a little similar. Yes. 
It's very similar. And um, because tarot also utilizes symbolism Mm -hmm. and symbolism allows for things to be explored through metaphor. So in an art therapy context, that can also feel much safer. Sometimes it can be really, and I mean, emotionally safer, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it can feel really overwhelming to own something as your own, really Mm. painful content, right? Really painful emotions, painful material, painful experiences. And so maybe we're looking at a piece of art and it's not you, it's not depicting you, it's depicting something else. And what meaning does that have? But really we both know that it's yours, right? Because you produced it. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is very similar in that way as far as the use of symbolism and what it allows for, what it provides. And I don't know if this is the case for tarot as well. You should, you can tell me, I hear you saying that different people, different symbolism, different cards mean different things to different people in a given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering about that in the given moment component and that with that part, like might a card mean something to somebody one day and then come to mean something else mm-hmm. at another time, but for yeah. that same person. For sure. And Mm -hmm. for a different time or a different context, like if you're looking Mm -hmm. at a card, thinking about a question pertaining to love versus career versus personal development, different symbols might highlight or the card may stir something else. Yes. Same thing. Same thing. Because one thing that's great about having this tangible artifact is we can revisit it and we can revisit it looking at it through a different lens, right? Well, how interesting you created this other piece of art down the road. It kind of reminds me of this, but we were talking about something very different at the time back then, but let's pull that out and like, think about it in this context. Now, is there a pattern here? Because everything we engage with in life, it's, it's not in isolation, right? It's not siloed. Like we are still us. Mm-hmm. moving through relationships, moving through jobs, moving through the world. It's, we're still that one thread. We are it that ties mm-hmm. them all together. And so we are experiencing all of them together. And so it's, it's really, it's very similar, Kelly, as far as how to look at things at different times in different ways and what meaning does it have yeah. through those different lenses and with different things in mind. Yeah. I love this. And it's a great way to track progress if we're talking about the grieving process, right? Okay maybe somebody creates a piece of art at one time in their, and one point in their grieving process. And then later it's revisited and it's like, Oh wow. I remember, I remember where I was at when I made Mm. that. And this is how I was doing then. And this is how I'm doing now and how different are these products or how similar are these products. Right. And it's a really interesting thing to think about as um, like a tangible sort of tracker of where we're at. Right. So let me ask you this. um, If grief is a process, it then seems like something that maybe you could elect to participate in or not. (laughs) (laughs) So I would imagine that people bypass the grief process sometimes, especially maybe close to the event, if there's shock, if there's whatever. does that, I'm going to ask because you're, you're nodding your head so that I'm assuming that that happens. What would be some indications that you're bypassing grief? Are yeah. there any? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. There are. <laughs> and we can try to ignore them, but they're going to show up. So okay. as I mentioned before, emotion lives in the body, right? So yes. one huge clue or one huge source of information is the body. And so I one of the things you named as far as what I incorporate into my work is somatic psychotherapy, or in my case, it's somatic art therapy. It's the name. That's the way of working, right? Art therapy has many approaches. Somatic art therapy brings in the use of the body in a very specific way. And if we are avoiding the emotion that might be present because of, you know, a loss that might be present as part of grief, sometimes it can manifest in real physical symptoms. And so when people talk about psychosomatic, oh, it's all in your head. Well, it's, it's not all in your head. It's also in your body, right? And you're feeling it and it's real. Your stomach is upset. Your stomach is like your gastrointestinal, um, you know, process, I guess we can call it that too, is showing you that something's not right. 
your gut is literally telling you that something is wrong that needs to maybe be addressed. And oftentimes that's the emotion. And so when we start getting into it and bringing out the emotion and making space for it and processing the loss, then I've seen with so many clients, then the physical ailment dissipates Mm -hmm. because the physical ailment was there to tell us that something else needs to be addressed. But the, but it was causing a lot of, you know, suffering while it was happening. And it's, it could be muscle tension. It could be, it could go as far as, um, so I've, I've seen muscle spasms that basically immobilize a person and what a metaphor for being able to move forward in life, right? Becoming immobile. Yeah. You're seizing up and, but there's nothing that can be point. There's no medical, you know, reason that a, a, a doctor, you know, would be able to find that can be pointed to is why this is happening, except that your body is um, expressing what's happening for you emotionally and mentally. You're shutting down. You can't go anywhere. You're paralyzed in space, in time. Like, that's it. You're stagnated. What do you do to move forward? Well, a lot of times that's processing the emotions and processing the loss. And that way it's not all consuming and your body isn't working overtime to stuff these things down. Yeah. I'm wondering to the point also, where you can't move. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm wondering also, I'm, I have a friend that comes to mind. We, a group of friends lost someone like a, a mutual friend. And then from that point forward, one of my friends started exhibiting symptoms of anxiety and depression where those were not evident before. So I'm wondering also if you have like onset of certain other symptoms that weren't there prior, if that could be directing someone to like, maybe there's unprocessed grief. Of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, if we think about what, well, so there are a couple of things that come to mind. So the first is that let's talk about anxiety. So anxiety is constant worry and constant fear, right? So you're, what are you afraid of? What are you worried about? What's going to happen? And so if you are looking for, if you're shaken from a loss, right, and you become scared, it could manifest and grow into generalized anxiety. The thing about anxiety that's generalized is that if it doesn't have a target, it will find a new target. So if one thing that you're anxious about gets resolved, you're probably not going to stop being anxious unless you're addressing what's underlying the anxiety. Now, of course, there are um, skills that can be incorporated in the immediacy to try to mitigate, um, you know, how, uh, how much um, impact the anxiety is having on your daily life so that it reduces the amount of, you know, functional impact that it's having. But, you know, you need to get to the bottom of what's going on in an instance like that where it's arising from a, a stressor. And a loss would be considered a stressor. And in a lot of instances of mental health symptoms and, um, you know, diagnoses, there's, there's often a stressor that kind of sets it off. Mm-hmm. And so if we're talking about depression, that one's kind of easy for somebody to get their head around, right? You're really, really sad. And now you're consumed by that sadness and you're having trouble functioning. You're having trouble getting out of bed. You're having trouble feeling motivated. You're having trouble enjoying the things you once enjoyed. You're having trouble getting up the energy to be around people. Suddenly doing anything feels really effortful. And, you know, I think about Eeyore from mm, Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Who like talks really slowly and it's just like a real hampering of function. And that can be felt internally too. Yes. And so... You're absolutely right that grief can be accompanied by symptoms of other other disorders, Mm -hmm. Um, but it may not be that the disorder exists, you know, that it would have existed anyway. It it, is what we call comorbid, right? It's showing up with something else. So let's just say someone's listening and they're like, hmm, I'm noticing these, uh, you know, symptoms in my body or maybe generalized anxiety. 
cognitively they understand there was probably a significant event of loss that was not addressed in the moment. Mm-hmm. What would it happened a long time ago? What would be some steps to start facilitating this process if the light bulbs are turning on for people as they listen to you? So eloquently explain all of this. Well, first of all, I'm glad that you find that this is eloquent. (laughs) That's great that that is how you're experiencing this. Um, Yeah. So I think that the first, the, honestly, the first step is just noticing. So if the light bulbs are going off, that's, that is already taking a step because you're starting to attune to yourself and what's going on with yourself, what's going on in your body, what's going on cognitively. You're starting to pay attention to the signals and you're starting to give credence to them. And that is the first step because otherwise you can't do anything with it. So the next step would be, you know, you could look for a therapist, right? Somebody who's um, professionally trained in how to support you through this process in a way that is um, maintaining safety and support. So one thing I was thinking about before also in terms of um, the sort of onset of all of this and wanting to address it and when we are able, like when are we with our emotions? How much do we look at a picture that we've made in, in art therapy and like what do we dive into is this idea of the window of tolerance. So everyone has a window of tolerance um, for what they can emotionally like stomach, so to speak, um, without shutting down. And our window of tolerance changes. It gets wider, it gets narrower, it changes in different situations, it changes in relation to the content we're exploring. And a therapist is trained to help like manage the window of tolerance and keep an eye out for it so you don't become flooded. So if somebody is having a really, really old loss come up, it's presenting now in ways that are noticeable in the body, it's probably, you know, going to be pretty impactful if it has managed to hang on this long and show up in a way that you're feeling in your body, right? It's a, it's not a sure thing, but it's a, it's pretty likely. So <laughs> being able to manage how fast you open all of that up and how much you let into the light right away is, you know, take some training. Care. You want to yeah. be careful. Right. And yeah. so you to have somebody who can help you with that, who can help notice if you're becoming dysregulated in a way that's not adaptive, you know, you're not just regressing in an adaptive way, getting stuff out of your system as a toddler. Yeah, I'm going to throw a temper tantrum, but like, great, like do it. If it's starting to become like, okay, well now it's hard to self-regulate. This seems to be good. Right. And a therapist is attuned, is trained to like keep an eye out before that happens. So that can be really useful, but it's not the only way. So the same way I talked about being able to externalize what you're going through so you can look at it. A great way to do that is also journaling, sharing your story, talking to a friend, right? These are all forms of externalization. And you can externalize on your own with making art. You can make music. You can go and engage with nature and notice things that remind you of how you're feeling and maybe collect them, maybe collect some leaves that are on the ground because they had a certain color that really spoke to you as far as like, this is what, this was what your grief feels like today or in this moment. So, you know, it doesn't all have to be done in a professional setting or in a therapeutic setting, but it can be very, very useful. Okay. So let's get into a tool or an exercise that you would recommend that maybe we can do together now even to help navigate some of the effects or help process grief either in the moment or something that maybe you could practice over time. What do you, what are we going to do? Yeah. Okay. So there are two things we're going to do. The first one is um, kind of hearkening back to when I was talking about feeling safe to be with the emotions that might feel really big or really painful And how can you help, how can you establish that, like foster that environment for yourself? So one thing I do with clients that you can do on your own also is something I actually got from a drama therapist, which is this idea of the therapy suit. So I love the therapy suit. So this is an invisible suit you're going to put on and you can look like whatever you want it to look like. So I'll tell you about my therapy suit and then you'll know what it looks like. So the therapy suit, well, first I'll say the therapy suit 
this invisible therapy suit, you put it on before you're going to do this hard work. And then you take it off at the end. Now, obviously our emotions don't just turn off like that. We know that, but that embodied act of putting on and taking off this invisible suit can help feel the opening up and then the closing up of the time and space where you're going to be with your emotions in this very painful way. Um, and it allows you a feeling of control, which with loss, there's so much that's out of control and so much that's felt to be out of control. And even sometimes our emotions feel out of control. Mm. So this, this offers a sort of a holding or a containment for that. My therapy suit looks like, um, you know, when you, you go to the fire station and the fire, um, you know, fire station, uh, I don't want to say fireman because it's so, it's so gender, firefighter. but uh, fighter fighters. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. The firefighter suits are all like on the floor in this very specific way where they can jump into them and pull them up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my therapy suit is kind of like that. I step into it. It's already there kind of ready for me and I pull it up and it's kind of like a, a onesie. And so I put it over my, I pull it up. I put it in my arms through it. I bend down, I zip it all the way up has a hood, put that on. I've got goggles. I put those on. That's my therapy suit. Now we're ready to do the hard work, right? And then the client has their own therapy suit. We put it on together. We do the work. And then at the end, before the client leaves, we doff our suits. So we don them and we doff them. So you can come up with whatever feels right for you. And when you're going to let yourself be with your emotions in a way that might otherwise feel overwhelming, you can put on your suit. Maybe it's your grief suit, not your therapy suit, right? You put on your grief suit or you put on your emotion suit. And then you, you know, feel your feelings and then you can doff it when you're ready to close up. Um, so that's, that's one cool. thing we can do, right? Do you want to put on a suit right now or you want, should we move on to the next thing? I don't know. I wasn't expecting to think of a suit. Maybe the next thing. That's okay. You don't have to. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll move on to the next thing. So the next thing we're going to do is called draw your breath. Okay. So draw your breath is an art exercise that I really love. And I do it with clients all the time, but it can also be done on your own. Okay. So it's going to um, marry together breathing, a breathing exercise along with a body scan um, where you're looking for tension and you're going to try to release it while also connecting to your um, bodily function of the breathing by using your body for mark making. Okay. So what is going to happen is. Sounds like a lot at one time. <laughs> okay. Yes, but it's all integrated. Okay. So some people like to close their eyes. Some like to cast just like a soft gaze downward, in which case I encourage you to just kind of focus on one spot and just be with your body, be with the feeling of being present. And I'm going to guide you through a guided breathing exercise. And as I do this, I want you to pay attention to your breath. And I want you to let yourself follow that breath with your hand. You're just going to move your marker across the page. A marker is ideal. Any mark making tool will work, pencil, pen, et cetera. But markers have a soft tip. It's going to feel softer as you're working with it a little bit more, you know, grounded in a, in a soothing way, more of like a comforting way. Okay. So I'm going to guide you. You're going to let your, your body move that marker across the page in whatever way feels right to follow your breath. So start by making sure your back is against a chair if you have, or whatever surface, if you have a back there. And if you have both feet on the floor, that would be great. If you don't, I encourage you to put both feet on the floor. And you're gonna start by taking a deep breath in, a big belly breath, fill your belly, not a diet, not a chest breath, big belly breath. Fill it up, hold at the top for a beat. And then you're gonna exhale as slowly as you possibly can really taking your time, rationing how much breath you let out. And when you finally exhaled, you hold for a beat and then you're going to do it again. You're going to take a deep diaphragmatic breath, really fill your belly, feel it expand, hold at the top for a beat and then exhale as slowly as you possibly can, really rationing how much breath you let out. And you're going to keep up with this pattern. And as you keep up with this pattern, you're going to pay attention to the breath and you're going to move your hand across the page. You're going to breathe in. You're going to pause. You're going to breathe out long and slow. You're going to pause. Your hand's just going to move across the page. 
And as you do this, I just want you to start by checking in different parts of yourself. We can start with your face, checking in with your brow, your temples, your jaw, behind your eyes, behind your ears. Are you holding any tension there? And if so, can you release it with your next long, slow exhale? Then next, you're going to check in with your neck, the base of your skull, moving down to your traps, your shoulder muscles there. Are you holding tension there? Or can you release it? And let yourself be. You're going to check in with your arms, your biceps, your elbows, your forearms. Are you clenching? If so, can you release that tension with your next long, slow exhale? And check in with your back, your upper back, between your shoulder blades, your mid-back, your lower back. Can you feel your back against the chair and release any tension? knowing that the chair is supporting you so you don't need to support yourself. You'll check in with your hips. You'll feel your bottom against the seat of the chair. Are you holding tension? And if so, can you release it with the next long, slow exhale? Let gravity do its job. Feel the weight of your body naturally being pulled down. Check in with your thighs. Behind your thighs, you know, your hamstrings. Do you feel them against the chair? Do you feel gravity pulling them down? Check in with your knees, behind your knees, your calves. Check in with your ankles your heels, your arches, your toes. Are you clenching anywhere? Do you notice tension? And if so, can you let it go? Know that the chair is holding you and the floor below that and the earth below that. It's all got you so you don't have to hold yourself. Just take a couple more breaths, scanning. If there's any tension left, let it go. And then when you're ready, you can come back into the room. Cool. <laughs> I've got a picture. <laughs> Do you want to see it? If you want to show it to me, <laughs> you don't have to. Great. Yes. So that was your breath. A little chaotic. <laughs> well, that's a question for another time. Were you really <laughs> slowing your breath or not? I was slowing my breath, but I noticed like um, I would draw inhales. I would be going up and exhales. I'd be going down with. The, mm -hmm. That's very common. With the marker. Uh, and then when I would hold it, I made like a. Like a little dot. Circle, like a little. Oh, look at that. Yes, you were really following your breath. I think so. Yeah, that's that was great. really it's so that was a beautiful exercise. And also, it is very cool to see what you produce. Yeah, and, and it's very I cool. Think, and I think the probably I would imagine some of the therapy is also to be able to observe it from a non-judgmental place, you know, from a neutral yes. space, or if you are feeling judgmental, like that gives you something to work, work on. Ah, mm -hmm. I, that felt really relaxing. I'm going to just have to keep replaying that. You'll be my little, my little yes. ride. Ah. Yes. I'm happy to be that, but also you can do it for yourself. And what's right. the reason why that's a useful tool is because if you're feeling really overwhelmed by your emotions, this can help you re recenter, ground yourself. And, um, uh, self-regulate. 
So this is a great way to, you know, a great thing to do if you're feeling like, okay, maybe this isn't the most appropriate time and space for me to be feeling these emotions. I need to, I need to somehow self-regulate. I'm having trouble. This is a way to do it. And you can do that body scan on your own. You can cue yourself, right? So this is a really great tool. I think when you're feeling overwhelmed by the emotions that are associated with grief, this is a tool to utilize then. I love it. Well, Louisa, thank you so much for your knowledge and sharing your time with us. I also want to mention for those that are listening to this in real time or in the month of February, the first half of 2024, uh, you can join Louisa on Valentine's Day, which is the 14th of February. I think it's 730 Eastern Standard. We can put the link in the show notes and she's going to be facilitating a group I think we wound up landing on the name when your five of cups runneth over or something like that. What was it called? Yeah. Yeah. When so your when your five of cups runneth over. Yeah. So five of cups in tarot is a card that represents grief. And so um, it's she's going to be taking you guys through great creative exercise, art therapy practices in a group setting. So if that's something that feels like it's good for you. That would be wonderful for you to attend. And it also kind of takes the stress of if you are grieving a loss of a relationship or you're sad, just to mark the calendar to have Valentine's Day plans also might be a nice self-care, self-healing thing to do. And then um, anyone who, I'm going to just give you a plug. You can also plug yourself, but anyone that <laughs> lives in the New York area, uh, if, if you like what you've heard here, I recommend you know looking into Louisa further as uh, she's available to actually be your therapist if you are looking for one. So another way to find a therapist is you just found one, Louisa. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, thank you. Yeah, I do have some openings right now. So if, um, you know, if anybody wants to reach out, we can see what we can do and for a try to have a conversation. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. To see if, to see if it could be a good fit. And hopefully I can, I can get you. And if you reach out, you know, through here, if you want to try to find them. So yeah, so we'll, so we'll, we'll, we'll link, see what's possible. Yeah, we'll link, we'll leave all the links in the show notes. And for those of you out there that are handling grief or moving through that process, which I would imagine most people deal with in their lifetime, um, I hope that you find these tools supportive and that even if they're not resonant for you now, that you'll have this in perpetuity. You know, if grief strikes, you can um, have a listen and kind of remind yourself of some of the topics we've covered. So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Louisa, again, for your time and expertise. Thank you for having me. This is great. I hope this helps some people feel less alone in, in their grieving and their losses. I, I'm sure it will. So thank you guys again for joining this episode of Mon- Moonday Mystic. Join us next week where we'll have another amazing episode. And uh, we look forward to connecting into the future. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Moonday Mystic by Modern Mystic Shop. Moonday Mystic is hosted and created by Kelly Knight, produced by Ariel Duncan, and inspired by magical listeners like you.